Thanks for joining us for the Fight for Your Marriage podcast with Charlene and Lori. This is a place where you can find hope for your marriage through Jesus Christ. Hi, thanks for joining us. We're so glad you're here for another episode. We are going to talk today with Bob and Dana Gresh. Dana recently authored the book, Happily Even After, Let God Redeem Your Marriage. And it's such a beautiful book. They have been where you may be, but they decided to participate in God's redemption story. And despite um, the admittance of sin in Bob's life and struggle with lust and pornography, They are going to share today how God restored their marriage and has redeemed the health of their marriage through the journey that they've been on with this struggle with pornography. And they have a beautiful testimony. Um, At the end of it, we will talk about the book a little bit and give you a way that you can get it. But it is such a powerful book. Um, Dana did a great job of really laying out the truth of what happened in their family But it's met with scripture, full of scripture, full of practical advice, and full of um, wisdom and prayers to help you. You know, sometimes when you're going through struggles or hurts, you feel like you've run out of prayers to pray. And she does what what you've done so many times is just go back to the Lord and pray scripture back to God. And she really talks a lot about that in this book. And so I know that you're going to enjoy this interview And then we are really going to encourage you to get a copy of this book after because I think it will help you um, even if your marriage has not fallen apart because of the sin struggle of lust or pornography. There's so many practical applications in this book, and you can fill in the blank for what that sin struggle is in your marriage. Um, But I think it'll really be a blessing to each of you. I've read this book. I've highlighted. I've underlined I put stars by it, and this is a book that is going to be very, very practical and very helpful for you, regardless of your exact circumstance. But this deals with sexual sins, pornography, and lust. This discussion talks about grieving and hurting, but then getting on to believing and there's victory in your marriage. You will be really blessed with this one. Let us know your thoughts afterwards also. Enjoy this episode with Dana and Bob Gresh. Bob and Dana, thank you for joining us today, and we're excited to have you on the Fight for Your Marriage podcast. Dana, you wrote a book recently called um, Happily Even After, and it, it talks about a difficult time that you have both had in your marriage. And so tell us a little bit about that book and why you felt like God wanted you to um, put your story on paper. Well, it's the story we said we would never let God use. Let's start there. (laughs) We were like, Lord, we're serving you in lots of other ways. We just keep this story locked in the vault because it's very vulnerable. Um, It's not that we had ambition to share it, but one year, 2017, uh, my friend Nancy DeMoss-Walgamuth asked if we would share our story at a Revive Our Hearts convention. So we shared our story for the first time in public of how God had redeemed our marriage. And then we got off stage and a woman was standing there waiting to talk, really not to me, but to Bob. 
because she wanted to know, she wanted to speak to a husband who had struggled the way her husband was struggling and know that there was hope. And so we talked with her, we prayed with her, and there was another one behind her and then another one behind her and another, it was like between that break and another break later on, it was about three hours of ministering to women at this event. And we realized then this is not our story. It's God's redemption story. And it needs to be told because it's not the minority of marriages in the church that are struggling. It's the majority. Amen. And until we start to put faces and names with the redemption stories, we're going to continue to kind of, um, I guess, increase the shame, participate with the enemy in increasing the shame. So it hasn't been easy. I can't say that we have loved every second of telling our story, <laughs> but we have loved seeing the fruit that's coming about as a result. Amen. Well, share share a little bit about what happened in your in your family and in your marriage, and um, tell us where things hit a part where you were not expecting. You know, we get married and say "till death do us part" and think we'll live happily ever after. But what happened to that dream? Well, I struggled with pornography most of my life, and before we were engaged, I sat down with Dan and talked to her about it. <clears throat> and kind of what I struggled with. I was always fairly open about it. Um, and I honestly thought that once I got married, it would go away. There wouldn't be a problem. Once you're actually having sex with a real person, you wouldn't need anything else. And that's a, a big lie, obviously. You can ask every man about that. Yeah. So <laughs> I think as we went in our marriage, we had certain cycles up and down. There'd be times I'd be doing well, times I wouldn't be doing well. Went to a lot of different counselors, went to a lot of different things. A lot of our ministry, I think, is based upon my counseling things that we learned, what, what learned, what worked and what didn't work. Um, but then uh, a while back in our marriage, uh, things started to escalate as they always do. And I felt like I was crossing boundaries I didn't not want to cross. And I also saw um, an interesting thing, and that was... I could tell that there were times when I'd act out, I could see it affect Dana's health. And I thought that's ridiculous. I just, but there were things I could measure very specifically that were happening to her. And I thought, holy cow, I, I brought this kind of spiritual warfare into the, into the house. So before that, it was a little bit easier for me to say, well, it doesn't really affect her. This is, I still love her. This has nothing to do with her. It was, a little, it was easier to justify that. And, um, and then when I saw it affecting her actual health, I'd never heard of that before, but I knew what was happening. And that's when I had to sit down and confess to a lot of things that um, had escalated. And um, that was a hard day. That was a tough day. Um, but it was kind of the beginning of our journey back. And I, I remember saying, you know, I had to to find my way back to Jesus. I was going to have to end up breaking her heart. Mm. And that's a, it's a tough, um, yeah, it was hard. Mm -hmm. It was a hard. When he talks about the um, physical stuff, I was being tested for lupus, for Lyme's disease, for rheumatoid arthritis, all kinds of, I mean, pretty serious, mostly um, autoimmune things. 
because they just couldn't figure out why I wasn't well. And the research really indicates that when an individual is in a relationship where trust is betrayed, even if they don't know it, that the body has an inflammatory response to that. It, it might just be like your husband's not making eye contact with you, or it might be that he's in the room physically, but not emotionally present. Or it could be um, if his behavior has escalated to an affair or something that he's not at the house when he should be. And you don't want to face it. You don't want to say, this is what's happening. He's looking at pornography again, or he might be doing something I could never have dreamed of. So you kind of deny it. Mm -hmm. But your body is reading the eye contact cues and the lack of present cues and and trying to send you the message and say, hey, something's not right. Something's not right. And the, the what the body does is it creates inflammation. Um, and there's really incredible research that anywhere from body pains and aches to uh, a lack of ability to overcome colds to even some forms of cancer are related to inflammation. And um, so that's what was happening in my body. And we didn't know it quite yet. But what he was seeing also was that maybe there's also a spiritual component to that. I mean, we have the science that can say there's inflammation, da, 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 da. We can make sense of it, right? But um, what we can't really understand is the spiritual ramifications of sin in a house. And I think that we saw that playing out. It's so funny that you mentioned autoimmune disorder and lupus because I was diagnosed with autoimmune disorder and lupus back when mm -hmm. Bob and was going through all of this, identical, same timing. And um, wow. it's, it's really, and I've, I've had none of it since then after you get through Praise and you God. get the, the, you get the restored marriage and you get your marriage on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. God took it away. But, you know, so, mm -hmm. but it, so when you said that, I just thought, wow, you know, your the body, devil, your body keeps the score, right? <laughs> And the yeah, devil yeah, is yeah. always trying to attack me uh, if with health. You know, that was one of the things that even now, you know, that you can have attacks when you're trying to do something for the Lord. He'll attack you one way or the other. It's a spiritual warfare. Okay. So I want to ask you a question. So you experienced healing in your body. I'm thinking of the Bible verse that says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, lean on, on your understanding. And then it goes on to say, it will be healing to your flesh and oh, strength yes. to your bones. Yes, I, I have. Like, you lived that out. I have lived it out. And we have literally on our website, scriptures that you can click on under prayer resources, healing scriptures, because we teach that if you are sick or your children are sick or there's cancer, pray for a healing of any diagnosis that nothing is too hard for God. So, and I'm living yeah. proof of it, of being healed. So I believe it mm -hmm. and know its power. Well, I, I'm so curious. Oh, no, I know ahead. you're supposed to be interviewing. No, go ahead. Here oh, I go. We can talk. Uh, so like just what you're did doing. Did you see healing? Did you see healing in your husband? Oh, yes. I mean, and he literally had uh, four strokes yeah. and 19 mm -hmm. TI8s. Mm -hmm. And the doctor, wow. after um, at the end, and he lived for 19 years, would have a stroke and write a book afterwards. It was just amazing that what he could continue to, Lord would continue to use him. And it was just, it was just God. There was no other word for it, just God. And, and he would always say that. And he said, never doubt the power of God, because I'm living proof, Bob would say, mm -hmm. that I'm alive and I'm continuing to work. 
Now, he worked part-time but and, and took it easy, you know, and not to overdo. But he was living proof of God doing, you know, continue to use you even in spite of illnesses and, and so forth. And definitely battle, spiritual battles around oh, health. spiritual <laughs> battles around health. Trying, trying to stop the work. You know. Yeah. But God is greater. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yep. Well, okay. So, Bob, you, you talk to Dana. It, you have a night where the truth comes out. Um, Dana, what was happening? Did you have an idea other than the physical ailments? Did you, did you have an idea that he was struggling again with um, lust or pornography addiction? Or where were you at? Well, I sensed that something was off for about 18 months. And I had gotten back in touch with our marriage counselor, Tippy Duncan, and said, I don't, I don't really know what to do. She said, has, do you think Bob has relapsed? I said, well, I've kind of given him the opportunity to tell me he hasn't, he hasn't said otherwise. Um, and she said, we have to pray. We cannot lean on our under, understanding. We have to lean on the understanding of God because he does know. Mm-hmm. And we're going to pray that God, if, if something is happening in Bob's life that is out of order spiritually, that God would make him miserable Amen. to the point that he would tell, tell us. And yeah, he made me miserable. <laughs> yes, he did Bob too. <laughs> so that's what led to that prayer confession session in our red chairs in our living room. And um, I'm glad that we got to that place, but it was a hard day. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And, you know, people out, women are, women ask me all the time, um, how much did Bob tell you? Well, Bob told me a lot more than I wanted to know. Mm -hmm. And then in weeks later in a counseling session told me, gave me kind of full disclosure, um, which I think there's a fine line between telling so much that it hurts and telling enough that it heals Mm -hmm. and you know what you're forgiving. And I think our counselor helped us find that place where I have full disclosure, but I don't have gory details in my head. Um, I think it's really important to find that place because too many details and too many questions can just lead you down a a road of bitterness. But you do have to know what you're forgiving. Mm -hmm. So you have to know. I agree. And so women always say, well, I don't know if I could handle it. Well, listen, the Bible says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And of course, that verse is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the truth. He will set you free. But There's also a sense there that knowing, calling a spade a spade and a dirty shovel a dirty shovel enables you to know what you're dealing with, what you're forgiving, and what you need to heal, what's broken Mm -hmm. so you can fix it. And you have to get to that place. So does the truth set you free? Yeah. And it does hurt at first, but it does lead ultimately to freedom in your heart and in your marriage. Did you feel freedom, Bob, after that conversation and a peace that the truth was out and now we can move forward? Or were you still dealing with a lot of shame from what was going to happen because of this truth being exposed? Well, a little bit of both. I mean, the sad part is that, you know, when I'm confessing, I'm kind of vomiting all this stuff out mm-hmm. and all over Dana and afterwards I feel better, but she just took all the burden. You know, I kind of released my burden and all kind of splatted on her. Correct. And one of the illustrations we like to use is that it was like, a, I'm driving a car and I swerve and I hit the tree and we're both thrown out of the car and the ambulance comes and gets me and takes me away. 
and leaves her laying there because the person that struggled with it or sinned usually is the one that gets the counseling that gets the support and a lot of times there's not a lot of support for the other person they're observed to be the most um wounded of the couple Mm -hmm. when they're the sinful one Mm -hmm. or the one that's been the betrayer they're it's like oh they really really need help right Mm -hmm. so let's just leave the partner over here because we'll come back to them and what we're learning is that um the way I wrote my book is I wrote it so that the wife could read the first half and get help and healing for her own Amen. heart. I loved it. Before she started to work with her husband. Because mm. we we as women tend to run into fix it mode. Be like, and I did that. Like within a week, Bob was off on a plane to a treatment center where he could get some help. And, you know, I made the calls, I made decisions, I figured out how to get it paid for all that stuff. Like I'm taking care of him. And I don't know that you don't always have to do that. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, there's practical aspects to this, this, this redemption journey, but if I would give two, advi- two pieces of advice to women, one is put your own oxygen mask on first. Mm-hmm. So true. And that's going to be different for every woman, but you need to strengthen yourself in the Lord and figure out what your heart needs and two, grieve that's that's the other thing I didn't do well like I remember the day after Bob confessed to me we had a wedding to go to and I was like I did not feel like dressing up but I dressed up as dressy as I could be I put on my red lipstick and um I I think that well Tippy, my counselor said Dana you're not grieving and I was like well am I supposed to grieve and she's like I want you to study the book of lamentations oh. One that we read every all the time, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's what I need right now, Tippy. I my marriage is in crisis. You want me to study the Book of Lamentations, but believers grieve over sin. Mm. Believers grieve over sin, and so it is a righteous thing to let yourself cry Mm -hmm. and feel that grief. Um, You can't stay in it. But you can't avoid it either, because if you avoid it, you're bottling things up and you're just making yourself more unwell. Mm-hmm. And there's a time of pain that when you get hear all that news, that you, you're mm-hmm. shocked. And, and most people are really shocked. Mm-hmm. Uh, many women are yeah. that that they're yeah. hearing this. And it's, so, it's a shock and a pain that they feel they weren't enough, you know. And that's mm-hmm. they felt. I think you often feel a failure. Mm-hmm. In, in their marriage, yeah. uh, in the bedroom. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm thinking of, I'm going to get the Bible verse wrong, and I'm never good at the addresses, but it says, don't let your adorning be that of braided hair and golded jewelry and fine clothes, but that of a hidden nature of Christ. And it's after that area that it says um, that your husband, if he's wandered away from the Lord or he's an unbeliever, he can be won through meekness. Yes. And um, it's almost like God's spirit knows, I know you want to get your boy getter outfit on Mm -hmm. and turn his head Mm -hmm. and make him chase you around the bedroom. But I'm telling you, that's not what's going to work here. What's going to work here is you putting on the strength of the Lord and walking in meekness and winning your husband's heart Mm -hmm. with that strength of the Lord and that meekness in you. And it's not, it's the presence of the Lord. So it's kind but it's 
the strength of the Lord. Meekness is God's strength combined with his gentleness. And so Bob, I didn't always do it right. I mean, I was furious at Bob at times. I threw, there's a legendary throwing of a jar in the house that happened. Uh, yes, it was a real small, thick jar that was stuck in the wall. It was a, it was a pretty good throw. So I wasn't meek every moment. I was not always meek. Um, but I tried to maintain that. Yeah. And I think it was soothing to my heart to know that God was just kind of saying, <clears throat> you know, it's not really a modesty verse when he says, don't put on the the boy getter outfit so much as it is. Um, that's not where the power comes from. Right. I loved your book where it said the prayer. We've got to pray. You know, the, that is so people don't really realize how powerful prayer is in our lives until we get in yeah. a situation or in a corner that there's nothing else yeah. to do but pray. And then they see how God can move so mindily. Yeah, we had uh, twin grandbabies. And they were in the NICU. And one of them, Addie's lungs collapsed. And you could even tell when the doctors and nurses tended to her, their faces told the story mm -hmm. that they were afraid. And we, for the first time in our life, saw prayer work almost hour by hour. As we would send out a prayer request, we would see her number stabilize. And then over the course of a day, maybe people would forget and her numbers would drop. And so we'd send out a prayer request, please pray. And her numbers would raise and like went like this for days. I believe it. Like I said, I can't wait to get to heaven to see the graph of yeah. prayers and her breathing patterns because I know they're going to align. Yeah. And that was really um, telling for us in terms of of the power of prayer. But what was hard for me when my brain was in trauma, when he had just disclosed everything to me, was I couldn't find the words. I couldn't read scripture. My brain was foggy and fuzzy. Mm -hmm. You know, I was experiencing the shock right. Right. of it. Right. So what I did, I got a, a index card, a three, a, a binder of index cards, bound index cards, and I would write a verse on there that was meaningful to me and carry it around. And I would just pray that verse because that's what I could do. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a lot of power in me at that time, but I could take one verse and I could say, Lord, I'm not trusting in me. I'm not trusting in Bob. I'm trusting in you because there's nothing else to trust in. Amen. My bones hurt. My body hurts because of this pain in my heart. Will you be healing to my flesh? Will you be healing to my bones? You know, and I could reword the scripture as mm -hmm. a prayer. So that's what I did. She did the same thing. <laughs> before that, many years before that, that's what God had me do. I have a little ring, and I have two sets of them. One was in the kitchen, and one was where I have in the family room. And I had these uh, these scriptures, and and I just kept flipping them, and I had more on it when I was reading and studying the Bible. Wow. And what, what better thing to go back to than God's word when you feel like you've run out of words to pray? So yeah, I, yeah, I just laughed. Right. I said, God, you still do things. <laughs> you, you wrote the Bible, and it still works presently. Yes. And you do uh, uh, index cards many years ago. Yeah. And you're still doing it. Well, I think that's awesome. Do you think that we have a lot of Christian marriages and Christian couples that are struggling in their marriages, but also struggling with like a pornography problem in their marriage? Do you think that it's a thing that people are opening up at small group about? Or do you think that we have more people that are suffering in silence? 
I think that the vast majority of marriages are struggling with it at some point mm-hmm. and that um, that they're also struggling in silence yeah. with it. Uh, we, what we, what we've decided, what we've, the response we've gotten from the book in large part is, I know my husband struggles, but he says he doesn't anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he forgave it. You know, he asked for forgiveness. I forgave him and now he wants it to be done. Let's not talk about it. Yeah. And I, I, I remember those days um, when I wanted to just, the shame was so great. That I just want to say, here's what I did. And then I want to move on. And, uh, and I felt like I would never do it again at that point. Um, but slowly the cycle would come back. And there was a point where I, I think the last time I really started to take responsibility for my actions and her actions in, in, in the sense that there was a time in our marriage when she would say something hurtful because of what I did. And I would kind of use that, like, well, you said, you say it too. And you, we go back and forth. There's a point where I had to say, the reason she's throwing a candy jar, it's not that it's right, but it, it's because of something. Uh, I, I need to be patient with that because because of something I did to begin with. Right. I don't have to justify her actions, but I need to recognize what my responsibility is in them. And that was a big turning point for me, I think, to not get upset with Dana and blame her for something that might be corollary to that and kind of change the subject. Um, and I think that's a hard part sometimes for men to get through mm-hmm. is to finally, I think it's almost like reducing the shame enough to say, look, that's what I'm responsible for. Mm-hmm. And I understand that. Um, that's a big step. Well, you were wounded, Dana. You were wounded. And, and, yeah. and that you're... Your heart is bleeding, I think, inside. If we could only see our hearts outside, mm-hmm. that's what you're going through. And and I right. remember that. And and I think people or women that are listening to this right now are understanding that. And they may not even have a husband admitting it yet. You know, they may be not speaking about it where that we were blessed that our spouses spoke about it. And But it didn't always... It didn't do immediate and total healing. When my husband died uh, many years later, he said on his deathbed, I can tell you today that I kept my eyes for you only for 22 years. And there is freedom in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And that was on his deathbed one or two days before he died. And I thought he had victory in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that is what you're saying and I think we're wanting yeah. to project today so much is in midst of all the circumstances that that uh, Bob and I had and you have had. There's victory. There, there's hope. Yes, there's, there's hope. hope. And ironically, yeah. we ended up going to a counselor because I really felt we needed somebody to intervene. Mm-hmm. And I, I I believe we need to say that we often don't want to go to a counselor to deal with it. But that was the best step that Bob and I made. Yeah. You guys yeah. you guys went more than just going to a counselor and going to help. Dana, you talk in your book about how we cannot suffer alone and suffer in silence. And, you know, Bob, like you were saying, there's couples struggling that aren't sharing what's happening. Um, when the truth came out, it could be our inclination to say, okay, well, nobody can ever find out about this. We'll just fix it between ourselves. 
But Dana, you suggest that we can actually find more healing by sharing that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, the scriptures indicate that healing happens in community. Mm-hmm. Um, James five sixteen would be the probably the go to verse: confess your sins one to another, and then you will be healed. And then it goes on to say, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. So that it's not just confessing and letting someone know, but it's being prayed over. Mm-hmm. It's being prayed for. It's being carried to Jesus. It's kind of mm-hmm. like that that guy that they. They dropped down through the roof. They put him on a mat. I don't remember. They don't, I don't think they say his name, but I call him Matt. Yeah. And they put him on a mat and they drop him through the roof to Jesus. Like you need those friends who will pick up your mat mm. when you can't walk and lower you down to Jesus. And that's what happens when you confess. It also really erases the shame. Mm-hmm. Cause when you tell a girlfriend who's known you for years and loved you for years, this is what's going on in my marriage. And she's like, Oh, okay, I love you. And I, and then if you tell a friend who's walked it and maybe you have to find those friends, they're out there. Mm -hmm. Yes, they are. But they're like, Oh, I can, I know the territory. Mm -hmm. I know the pathway. Um, the, the, the battle shifts when you have that kind of friendship in the body of Christ. So we really do encourage biblical clinically informed counseling to understand what's going on in your body and your brain and, and then, of course, the, the the friendship of the fellowship of Jesus Christ, your brothers and sisters in the Lord. How, how much victory do you think we would have in as couples in marriage if we would just put the shame aside so early on and be transparent with each other to say, hey, can you keep me accountable? This is what I'm struggling with. Instead, we suffer alone. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants us to isolate and think, that's just happening to you guys. You know, there'll be no recovering from this and and there's no hope after this. Did you have a, a point where you felt like, I don't know if I can forgive him and move forward? Or did you always think I'm going to fight for this marriage and for my husband's purity? Yeah, well, uh, we never used the, the D word. We thought, you know, we never used the divorce word. We kind of had a conviction about that. But here's the thing. Um, at one point when Bob was progressing, but my heart was still hurting Mm -hmm. and I had forgiven him, but I hadn't really rebuilt trust. We weren't that far along. I think it's really important to know that you can forgive someone and still not blindly trust them. There can be some time where they earn and build trust. The Bible never tells us to trust each other. The Bible tells us, in fact, not to trust each other and to expect hurt from each other and that we should trust in the name of the Lord. So um, it's okay if you forgive your husband and you or your wife, if she's the one that's hurt you and you allow that time of rebuilding trust, that's probably a wise thing to do. But I probably let that go on too long because I got I got bitter and I didn't really know what bitterness was, what really kind of sealed it for me is I was listening to a Timothy Keller message once. And he said, you know, you're bitter when you've lost compassion for the person that you're angry mm-hmm. at. And I was like, Oh, I don't have compassion. Guilty. For I'm mad. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, um, I really, I started to explore that with our counselor and he said, well, Dana, in my mind, you might as well get divorced. Mm-hmm. And I was like shocked that he would say this, like he knows what my conviction is about marriage. And he's like, 
the only thing between you and divorce is a piece of paper because everything else is there. You're sleeping in the other room. Mm. Your heart is cold and turned off towards him. You have to decide, you know, when you're going to really forgive him. And um, that was a turning point for me because I hated my sin. And I went to Bob that night and I said, okay, you've confessed a lot to me. Let me confess to you that I have not met your confession with a godly form of forgiveness, but a pious form of forgiveness right. in word only. And that's the night I think that my forgiveness got real. Mm. So did I give up hope? No. Did I live a pharisaical life, pharisaical life of pride in the way I forgave him? Absolutely, yes. And I had to repent of that. Yeah. I, I'm going to read a quote to you from your book that I love that talked about this. It's when you were talking about medicating with numbness and you say developing a hard heart leads to an inability to receive the truth of God's word. It disables your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, and it also short circuits your ability to connect intimately with other people, even those closest to you, like your spouse. And those powerful yeah. words, that's exactly what you were going through is you had hardened your heart. So what's yeah, hardening your heart? What's the steps to start having that softened heart? And how many times a day do you have to say, Lord, soften my heart as you're going through the process? Well, part of it was confessing to him that my heart was hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, just saying this is what's happening. But then um, the next day when you wake up and you've forgotten to soften your heart, you ask the Lord again to soften it. It's so much a matter. It's a work the Holy Spirit has to right. do. You can't really do it yourself. Um, but you can rely on the Holy Spirit. You can pray that he'll give you eyes for your husband or your wife, the eyes that he has for them. Mm -hmm. One of the things I did was um, I found my husband loves to wear red. He has red pants on today. <laughs> <laughs> he showed up at work today and said, oh, red pants. We're getting to red pants now. Are we? <laughs> um, he loves to wear red and uh, I found this picture of him when he was a little boy, probably three or four years old. And doesn't he have a red shirt on? And so it was so true, Bob Gresh. But I put that picture by my nightstand on my nightstand for many months. I looked at it every day and I said, Lord, let me love that little boy. Mm -hmm. And that was really useful for me in softening my heart because mm -hmm. There's something about the innocence of a little child. And Bob, you know, Bob didn't wake up one day at 12 years old and say, gee, I would like to look at pornography so that I can really ruin my wife's life. Mm -hmm. he, that's not how any of us get caught in sin. Satan lures us in. And it was being able to see the woundedness of a little boy that would have turned to that for comfort when he was young, 13, 14, um, that started to soften my heart. Mm -hmm. Bob, do you think that that men that are involved in pornography, I'll let you give your opinion on this. Do you think that it's something that they have um, opened up? Obviously, they've opened themselves up to Satan. But do you think it's something that they're trying to do to fulfill a sexual desire? Or does it mostly go back to a hurt, wounded boy that has been exposed to something and we've heard so many people say, I was depressed, I was lonely, I was being, um, you know, losing a job, and that's when I turned to pornography. Have you found that to be true as well from the people that you've talked to? Yeah, I think Satan operates in counterfeits. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> he takes the intimacy of, he understands the intimacy of biblical sex and takes 
and tries to say you can have this type of intimacy without the commitment. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's always a it's it's not about sexual. It's not about sex very much. Right. It's about medicating your hurt, uh, your wounds, going to uh, trying to have intimacy without the commitment. Mm -hmm. And I think that. Um, and then I believe it becomes a brain uh, issue where when you've done it enough, your neural pathways get fixed. And so you sort of default to that. Mm -hmm. The default is to do that more than it is not to. And so it becomes um, a lot more complicated uh, because you're in your resting state, you, it's, it's the kind of thing you do. And so it takes a long time to kind of deprogram your mind and to there's so many triggers that you've that that i had planted or d d created whether it was places or names or whatever it was pictures or whatever um that uh were hard to get rid of mm -hmm. and, and i appreciate you know the apostle paul saying we're transforming our mind or the renewing of our mind because mm -hmm. um it wasn't long ago that scientists didn't think that the the brain could be reprogrammed or right. was plastic you know, plasticity to it. And so we know now it, it can be transformed and renewed, but Paul we, did that all, all the way back then. That's right. Mm -hmm. uh, we just interviewed a Christian sex therapist for our podcast. We have a limited series podcast based on the book called happily even after. And um, so many couples are saying, you know, how do you retrain your, mm -hmm. your bodies? Like how do you enter into intimacy in your marriage bed? And she told us something really fascinating, uh, very biblically rooted, very godly woman. She and her husband have built a whole life around helping couples that have really significant trouble in their sexual relationship. And one of those issues, obviously, is how to reconnect physically mm -hmm. after pornography or an affair. And she really recommends a period of abstinence because what has happened is you have a porn a porn addict has learned to be responsive to stimulus rather than to enter into sweet intimacy right. eye contact handhold touching mm -hmm. stuff like that um just hugging innocent non-sexual hugging and so she takes them through a period because she says until you reprogram that sexual desire which was probably completely based on an understanding that a stimulus will create what you're looking for. Right. And you start to enter into intimacy first and then stimulus. Um, you're not going to be experiencing what God designed. Mm -hmm. But she talked about this whole pattern of reprogramming, just how your bodies respond to each other and how essential that is so that you can enter into intimacy rather than just having sex. Boy, that makes, it just seems like um, fireworks for yeah. what she said is so true <laughs> when she says that. Oh yeah. my goodness, that's yeah. amazing. Well, the first time we see the act of marriage described is in Genesis 4.1, and it says, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth. And the Hebrew language there says, Adam yada, his wife Eve. And that Hebrew word yada means to know, to be known, to be deeply respected. No inkling of the physical act happening. Mm -hmm. It goes right to the intimacy, the emotional connection. The, the, and 
perhaps spiritual connection that you can experience in the marriage relationship. And we have been trained by the happily ever after story that romance is just about bodies connecting. Well, no, it's about hearts. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I think that the thing that Bob and I started to do was I greeted him at the door and welcomed him and loved him hugging and kissing and not, you know, going into other things. And then he would come into the kitchen and talk to me and was, we had a relationship, Mm -hmm. you know, that, and, and not have all at the wrong way that, um, that the bedroom was going to be uh, the wrong way, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and he opened that door, but we have to close the door and, 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 Ask the Lord to shut it and put a wall of, of fire around it. We don't ever go through it again, you know? Yeah. Yep. In the book, you um, talk about seven essential beliefs that every marriage um, needs to survive broken places. So can you tell us one of those and um, how a marriage could survive? Yeah. So these were just, I would say, milestones that we experienced, um, they were things that were really important, but also really, really hard um, for us. And one of them, I guess, would be that trust is a gift you choose to give. And for me, this was a really hard one because I, I, I didn't even want to trust him. Mm-hmm. I was so mad. And many weeks months, maybe a couple of years into our work, I realized I still wasn't trusting him. And I went to one of my girlfriends and said, I don't trust Bob. I don't want to trust him. What do I do? And she said, let's get together with us couples. So that's what the beauty of the body of Christ Mm -hmm. does. It wasn't just like, well, I don't know what to tell you. It's like, let's enter into this hard work is what she said. And so we had dinner at Duffy's Tavern and her husband, who's a pastor, leaned across looked at me and said, Dana, I'm not sure we can ever really trust anyone because mm-hmm. we're human and we're fallible. But a marriage relationship is certainly, it's certainly worthy of trust. And the Bible says that a husband should safely trust in his wife's heart. So there is an element here where trust is a gift you need to give Bob. And you have to decide if you're going to give it to him or not. Wow. And that night he started sharing with me and I started remembering other counseling work we had done. And I remembered um, one of our counselors or marriage coach had described trust like a cookie jar. And he's like, you know, if your cookie jar is empty and your spouse hasn't put any cookies in that cookie jar, you're obviously low on deposits to trust. But if you see things happening, like your husband confessed to you, Your husband is going to a discipleship group for accountability every week. Your husband is going to therapy to get the help that he needs. Your husband's reading his Bible in the morning. Um, All of those things are cookies in your jar. And when you see Bob doing that, then you can trust him. And Bob was doing all of that, but I still wasn't trusting him. In fact, tell him about your personal craziness index. Well, Patrick Carnes had a neat thing um, called the personal craziness index or PCI. And it's been good for me. It's a, Based upon the fact that, you know, as an addict, an addict can get, it can start to imbalance, get your life imbalanced. And the more imbalanced your life gets, the more likely you are to, to act out. And so if you can keep some basic disciplines up, 
it's a win for you every day. And so what the PCI is, is four or five things that you do each day that like, get you a point. And they're easy things. And um, just to kind of get wins during the day and say, when I'm when my life's in balance, I'm doing these things that keeps me safer, that keeps me, um, and it might be reading your Bible, might be reading a chapter, a verse, or journaling. One of mine is making the bed. And so for me, that's every morning I get up and I think, um, I said, I'd make the bed. And that shows Dan's going to come up. I Every day I think it, Dan's going to come up and see if his bed's made or not. And it's not a bed, it's not a, like a not trusting thing. It's just something I can do that's almost like a, a marker that says, you know, I still remember this. And it, it makes her feel safe. I think the Bible says <laughs> that a man dies for lack of discipline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, sure. it's never, we get to our sin addictions, our strongholds, one bad decision at a time, one lack of discipline at a time. We don't go from A to Z. It's A, B, C, D. Like there's a long right. time. So when you're building up disciplines like making your bed or reading your Bible, like those set your feet on the trajectory to go in the right direction to make the right decisions. Yeah, it's a lot of micro decisions that that lead to a sin. Well, what would you yep. say right now to the man or woman who is um, in your situation where their spouse may have fallen into a sin of some sort and they're not really at the stage of repentant yet? They might even, you know, the spouse might even be defiant, denying and not, you know, being honest with them. And how could you encourage that that man or woman today? Well, I would say... Um, that the first thing to do is, is pray. Mm-hmm. And for, for Bob, for our relationship, I knew that what I needed to do is pray and mm-hmm. wait. There are women I know who they needed to pray and confront. Mm-hmm. There are women I know who needed to pray and go to friends so the friends could confront. Um, that it, I think one of the things that, one of the reasons we wrote the book is to tell women and men, you are as unique and as different as a fingerprint and the process you need to find the redemption for your marriage through Jesus Christ is going to be different for you than it is for me. But here's how it worked for us. And we're going to tell our story and ask you to pay it forward and tell your story when you begin to get strong and reconnected. So, but I would, I would say first pray. And for me, that was for 18 months. I prayed with my Christian counselor knowing something was off and I don't think he's ready to be honest with me about it. And the Lord did bring him to a place where he was able to be honest. Bob does a lot talking with wives about helping them recognize repentance because sometimes when you're the wife that has to confront that husband will cry. He'll say I never did it again. (laughs) And we take that as, Oh, that's repentance because he cried. And Bob says, that's not repentance. You're right. <laughs> no, well, I've been around long enough and seen my, in my own life and <clears throat> the lives of others what repentance looks like. It, it was interesting in so many cases, people, I would do things that people thought looked like repentance. I'm like, that's not what I, I mean, you can cry just from being, from being down or depressed or whatever. But, but a few of the things I look for is one is the first one is being able to tell your story honestly and not equivocating. Well, I might, I might have done this and, Sometimes I kind of done this, 
but to own your story to get past the shame a little bit and then to um uh to take responsibility for it so one of the things i think that's very confusing to guys is that the grief emotions for the woman or for the one that's been you know sinned against are not um very consistent so there can be a time when when dana was so like i feel sorry for you i'm trying to help you you know i could get really down and then she would try to pick me up um and then an hour later i could come in the house and she was not happy i remember one time i one time i came in i cleaned she's coming home I cleaned the whole house up by vacuum cleaner, all digital. I'm like, she's gonna be so happy with me. And when she came in, mm-hmm. she was not happy and she was off. And I said, What's happening? And she's like, This is what you would do after you acted out. Mm-hmm. Like now that I track it back, this is what you would do. He used to do penance. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I I always say I didn't ever have to clean the house again <laughs> because I just didn't want to. <laughs> But there are certain things, you know, there are still so there are also consequences. So there are there are things that will always be a part of our life to some extent. There'll be things when we're watching in movies or whatever that that do affect does affect Dan or me. And those consequences are consequences I brought to the play. So having Dana and a lot of times she uses the word safe rather than trust. So this makes me this, you know, this kind of stuff makes her feel safe. Mm-hmm. That's easier for me to, to handle because I don't really deserve the trust but there are ways i can show it proactively that we've defined and i think that really helps her and when i don't do those things um i'm not making her feel safe nor am i doing the basic disciplines i need Mm -hmm. in my own life so he's describing lots of different signs of repentance um the bible talks about fruit in keeping with repentance Mm -hmm. and that's a plural word so there are lots of different ways that you can see repentance. It's not just one way. It's not just the, I'm sorry and I'm crying. That may be a fruit of repentance, but if that is all there is, it's probably not true repentance because mm-hmm. true repentance is really um, engulfing of your whole life, your thought process. It's not just not doing the sin. It's thinking differently about right. it, believing differently about it. Yeah. What is your hope for people that read this book? Redemption. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, we we um, <clears throat> we talked a long time about we wanted to be in recovery. And I do think recovery is important, but it's not complete. Um, you can do a lot of things to be in recovery to stop a behavior in your life, whether it's alcohol or sin or spending or overeating. You can be in recovery from those things and still not be free Mm. just because you're not doing something um, doesn't mean you're really free. If your mind is consumed by it, if your heart is consumed by it, if you're still stuck in the shame of it, that's why you need redemption. Redemption is the work of being made new through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And he does, he's the only one capable of redemption work and at the end of the day, any kind of stronghold of sin is only going to be redeemed by Jesus. And so do the work of recovery. But if you don't include the Holy Spirit and prayer and the word of God and the power of the name of Jesus in it, 
you're only going to suffer through white knuckling recovery mm -hmm. rather than the beauty of redemption, which is being made new. That is, that is perfectly said and so evident through every page of this book. Um, we love it because we so often, well, in everything we do, we try to put scripture and prayer at the um, forefront. Yes, and there's a place for psychology and, and teaching about that. But it cannot take the place of what God has taught us through his word. And, you know, people get frustrated sometimes and say, well, I don't want to just pray about it. I want to fix it. And I want to do this. And I want God to do it tomorrow. And that's not the way it always works. And I think this book is so beautifully laid out, full of scripture, full of practical advice, oh, yes. um, full of just wisdom on how to to proceed after a hurt and, you know, we talked before the podcast, we really want to be the freaks in the church that fight for marriage. And sadly, mm -hmm. we shouldn't have to be freaks it. because we're fighting for marriage. But boy, there is hope for every marriage. If if there is a marriage that is beyond what God can do, then we have limited God's power. And we know that he is all powerful. So he's able to redeem and restore and heal and make new. And, and I know he's done it in your marriage and we trust that he can do it in so many other marriages. And I think we need to have this testimony say, look, listen, and now apply it and right. believe that God can do anything where we instead have allowed divorce to be in the church okay. and it's accepted. Okay. And we want to say, we don't want divorce in the church accepted. Right. We want to believe that God can go and touch all the circumstances, all the guilt and the shame, and it all can be turned around to God's glory right. and heal and restore and rebuild a marriage on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Right. And yeah. you are both living proof of that. Mm -hmm. and, and you have written a beautiful book that I am saying Everybody needs, we everybody buy. needs, buy it. <laughs> because if you will read through each chapter and the way they write it and with the scriptures and the applications, it is, I just said, boy, this is number one for <laughs> me to give to the women now to tell them to read it because you need to apply it because they got so much anger, bitterness and, and judgment, critical mm -hmm. spirit, you know. And we need to go into this book and apply what the word says, mm -hmm. and you have done it with it, with your own testimony, yes. with real reality, yes. and how God can transform a marriage. And you are—I just applaud you writing the book because yes. it is going to help so many women. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. We're yeah. thrilled to have you. Yeah. Well, would one of you want to close us out in prayer and maybe pray for the couples that are? walking through this now or will come in the future, you know, that they may not even know what's coming down the road, but that they could be prepared. Or may, may, um, would you like to pray for the men and you pray for the women with that? Which, which way would you like that? That sounds great. Okay, great. Lord Jesus, I just lift up to you the woman whose heart is hurting and she feels like there is no hope, but you are hope. And so if she can just keep talking to you, Lord, she's going to feel that hope of awaken. I pray, Lord, that you would give her a love for her husband that can only be given through you and through a connection to you. I pray that you give her permission to cry and to hurt and to grieve. 
I pray that you give her courage to tell someone what she's going through and not to walk through this alone. I pray, Father, that you would um, give her strength, Lord. Uh, I do believe that some women stay out of weakness, but I also believe that some of us have chosen to stay out of strength in the Lord, and she can choose that. Help her to know that this trauma doesn't have to end in being traumatized, but she Mm -hmm. can experience post-traumatic growth as many of us have, as I have, as I can hear in Charlene's voice, Lord, I pray that she would experience that in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for the men today, um, the men who are still out there wandering, who are still acting out uh, and not confessing it, Lord, the um, men who have prayed a thousand times and feel like you've not answered their prayers, I pray that you'd bring them in um, and get them among other men that could help them and be strong for them. Or I pray for marriages that where the man has been caught or understand or, or it's out there but won't let the wife say anything. I pray that there'll be freedom in in that house, that there'd be people that would be brought in that she could talk to and he could talk to to walk them through this this um this sin lord you are the author of sex and the beauty of it and Mm -hmm. satan is counterfeiting and i pray that you would help you help us through to be a better church to be a more unified church through victory we have over lust and pornography lord satan overplays his hand and i just pray there's a reason for this mess and i believe it's to bring men together to bring families together um, and to understand the freedom there is in you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, thanks for being with us today. It was excellent. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah. My great. pleasure. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work. Thank, Thank you. you. God bless you guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Bob and Dana Gresh. And I just want to remind you of the title of the book is Happily Even After, Let God Redeem Your Marriage. You can find it in bookstores everywhere and online, and we will put a link in the show notes. So if you'd like to pick up a copy, you can easily find where to get it. But I hope that you grab a copy of this book and read it and that the Lord really uses it to change and transform your marriage. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to visit the website of Rejoice Marriage Ministries at www.rejoiceministries.org. Thanks for joining us today as we proclaim that God heals hurting marriages.